record. Hey, welcome back to the Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast, Everything Center Fire and Rimfire. Uh, a couple things. I've been getting a lot of emails concerning some of our more, more recent podcasts, uh, questions that I got to go back and, and get with the previous guests that have been on, and I'm uh, definitely doing that, and I've got a ton of notes written down. Um, I'm going to kind of get away from that today because i got a special guest who is in a hurry. Also, before we get started, keep in mind, coming up uh, February 17th and 18th is the brawl, and the train-up starts on the 13th, so start out here at Rifles Only on Monday on the 13th. Go, you know, familiar with the range and you know kind of what to expect if it's your first match or anything like that and then uh, we'll have a day off on Thursday and then uh, Friday and Saturday is the match so I want to get you all in and, and uh, if you want to come and join us and or come and watch or whatever you want to do just let us know also keep in mind check out www.riflesonly.com Black Friday's our sales are coming up uh, Cyber Monday sales are going to be a lot of stuff going on this weekend after Thanksgiving and we're going to uh, bust right into this in keeping with our, our timeline that we have but uh, special guest, Mr. Tom Fuller. How are you, Tom? Doing great, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Well, good, man. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you uh, you taking the time out. I know that I know that you are a country boy, and it is hunting season, so we're going to try to get this knocked out so you can get out and, and do some hunting, man. I, again, I appreciate you taking the time. So it's not only hunting season, it's the rut here. So Oh, yeah, so that's know. even better. Yep. So the, yep. the, deer, yep. the deer have gotten stupid. That's right. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, good deal. Well, Tom, tell me a little bit. Where were you born? Man, I was born in the Appalachian Mountains in southwest Virginia from uh, a place called Big A Mountain. And uh, you could be in Kentucky, West Virginia, Tennessee in about 30 minutes, just depending on which direction you drove. Just there and kind of like a little land that time forgot, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, uh, what, what did you do growing up? What was your thing? Did you play, uh, play sports or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Small schools and stuff back in those mountains, but yeah, I played sports, uh, played baseball, football, basketball, uh, everything then, you know, uh, worked on a, a farm with my dad and, uh, my brother, so we were working a lot. We dug coal, we grew tobacco, uh, we raised hogs, you name it, kind of hustling kind of lifestyle, you know. Wow. Wow. I didn't know all that. <laughs> and I've known yeah. you a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, yeah, that, 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 go ahead. Yeah, that, we grew up, man. People used to heat their homes with coal. Yeah. And uh, there was a coal seam on some property that was family property, you know, back in the mountains. and we would dig it and load it in trucks and go take it and shovel in people's basements because everybody had coal furnaces, you know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's sure. amazing. <laughs> I did not yeah. know that about you, sir. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, now I know, I know that you're the, you're the, you're the principal at, at our Armageddon gear, but before you did that, you uh, just walk us through how, how high school, what'd you do after that? I know that you spent some time in the army as well. Yeah, I, I uh, well, when I got out of high school, I actually made pretty good grades. Uh, little small school in the mountains there, but uh, couldn't parents my couldn't really afford to go to college. Although I wanted to be a veterinarian, mm -hmm. but I always kind of wanted to be. Uh, so uh, joined the army and did twenty two years 
almost 23. Uh, most of that was in a Ranger regiment. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of fun. Uh, was made a made sergeant major, which is uh, kind of cool. You know, you got to got to got to kind of sit around not do nothing. You know, the last few years in the army, it was kind of neat. <laughs> but uh, but I but I did enjoy that. I really did. I enjoyed the military, and uh, and so that was kind of. That was kind of, you know, they say you're a product of your environment. Well, mm-hmm. I'm a past conditions and standards kind of guy because my whole adult life I was in the military until, you know, 40s anyway. Right. And uh, when I got out of there, my first real, like I did some security. Uh, you remember that was when the pirate stuff was bad in Somalia and stuff. So yeah, I, I got out of the Army and rode ship around the horn in Africa, pulling security, getting paid. And then I heard about Bushnell. Hiring, wanted to hire somebody for military to start a tactical line, do some military sales, mm-hmm. and I applied for it and got hired uh, mm-hmm. and worked for Bushnell, and that's where I think we met in those days. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did. Yep, and that was a long time ago. So you remember the HDMR super popular scope back then? Yep. We sold. We had a lot of success, believe it or not, for for the Bushnell brand. A lot of people don't know that, but the HDMR was used across the military, LE, government agencies. The that XRS was used in special ops units. Uh, we did millions of dollars of range finders with the M320 program, uh, spotting scopes for the special forces reconnaissance. I think we did like $6 million of spotting scopes for mm-hmm. that. It was a real successful program. Yeah, it was. And, and then, that uh, was the thing. That, that was the thing, you know, the, the, whenever I first met you, you know, was you were talking about Bushnell, you know, we're talking about these Bushnell scopes and you put, you handed me one and, you know, I mounted it up on the gun and I was real happy with it. And before then it was kind of odd. It was like, you know, the Bushnell was like a, a Walmart type of brand. And it's like, I guess you and, and whoever you were working with kind of brought them out of that. Well, the, you know, they, no, they had a lot of success as a, as a, price point scope and they mm-hmm. even through those years and they still do uh so the whole premise is like uh you when when i when so one of the things i did going back a little bit we start i started the sniper platoons in the ranger battalion there mm-hmm. was no sniper platoon so i was the first platoon star and we had bausch and long scopes mm-hmm. and bushnell made that okay. and and i didn't even know that and i found that out in the interview process that y'all make those scopes I'm like yeah and uh those were they actually had the old Bushnell six ten power thirty mil tubes. I mean, that was a hot scope years and years ago. Yep. You know, yep. and uh, it was used by a lot of people. So it was like, hey, Bushnell's been making scopes as long as anybody. Uh, they always had the elite line in their hunting scopes, which mm-hmm. are as good a scope as any made. They're made at Light Optical in Japan, where mm-hmm. a lot of the high end scopes in the world are made. And so we just designed some tactical scopes and said, hey, look, let's make these with the same. Uh, you know, durability of the elite line. So, you know, they're, they're on par with everybody. It was the most used scope in the PRS. It, the winner of the PRS that year, two years in a row, was Bushnell's. Uh, the winner of the finale was running Bushnell's for a couple of years there. I mean, you remember how many guys ran them. Do you yep. remember down at Rifles Only when we had a match and we said everybody's shooting a Bushnell? line it up and there were it was over a third of the match oh yeah i remember i remember and and i had yeah. on i had on yeah. my guns and, and you know it's like those original scopes there i just i just finished up seven straight days of training down here and i had you know, that was two different classes and i had two one person in each of the classes were were using that scope and it was like wow this yeah. is amazing and, and this is now 2022 this is years after and it was the yeah. same era yeah. the same era of that those scopes i know that there's been a lot yeah. done with them since 
Well, they're just, you know what? I mean, I don't work for them anymore, but I was very proud of what we did with, with designing those scopes and, and, and Bushnell's credit, how well they made them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I was, it's hunting season. My hunting rifle, of course, it's a GA Precision. It's, it's a really, really good hunting rifle, but it's the same rifle I carried on the Sniper Adventure Challenges. Mm-hmm. And the first year we did that, my partner uh, was, you had to push it, climb up a cliff. Mm-hmm. And when you got to the top, the, your partner had to pull all your gear up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he pulls his ruck and his rifle up, gets it over the lip of the cliff, and I'm down there snapping mine, and he gets it to the lip, and he can't get it over, and the rope started burning his hands. He just let my he let my ruck and rifle on the outside of it just burn in. Oh. And so we got it up there, and I, I had to climb up. I got up there, and the side of my scope's got a big dent in it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, dang, we're screwed when we shoot tomorrow. I was like, ah, uh, it'll probably be okay. I'm just hoping. Yep. My first shot the next day was 800 yards, and I center punched it. And I'm <laughs> like, and I, that scope is still on my hunting rifle. Oh, nice. And I'm using it today. Yeah. With the dent and so, everything. Every man, the dent's still on it, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, everything I own is dented or break or scratched. Or yeah. Whatever, you know, just the way I treat stuff, so. Yeah, I'm sitting here in the classroom yeah. right now. I've been tearing apart my guns, and, and I'm looking at one that I have over there in pieces. Yeah, it, I, I know the feeling. <laughs> I know yeah. the feeling. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I know I had uh, I had I run those scopes for a while, and then also y'all did a um, y'all did a roof prism spotting scope. Yep. Yeah, that was that real was real successful. good. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I that can... thing was really successful. Yeah, that that we that, I think they still sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they go after the military business much anymore, but we did a lot of those things with the military and there's a lot of them still in use. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I like those roof well, prism. You, know, you look at, you, you look at a roof prism versus a Sapporo prism. The roof prism just makes more sense to me in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why aren't we doing this? And so the issue was the spotting scope they had, it was the, it's the special forces reconnaissance spotter kit is what these went in. Mm-hmm. And they would hook night vision to the front of the spotters, cameras to the back, take photos through them and, and night vision and stuff at night. Mm-hmm. And there were several issues with the ones they made. One, they were lowest powers 15, so the night vision didn't work well with that. It pixelated right. too bad. And right. as you know, Jacob, a portal prism, light comes in, hits a mirror, bounces off, loses a little light, mm-hmm. hits another mirror, bounces again, loses more because mm-hmm. every time you reflect it, you lose a little. Right. So the quality wasn't good when you had cameras on the back, night vision on the front. So I was like, what if we just did a roof prism yep. and and make it eight power at the low end, right. you know? Yep. So because, you know, everybody wanted 60 power spotting scopes back in the day and we we're like, well, okay, you can't, it's unusable power. Right. What, what's the point? Yeah. You know, so. It, it was successful because no one else was doing it. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I get that a lot. I had I had one guy come through not long ago. He had a he was running a, a sixty power on the top end. He, I mean, again, to his credit, he came here so that he would learn what he needed to get. You know, so uh, it was at the sure. end of it. You know, it's like yeah, that no, not so much. He <laughs> backed that off a little bit. Yeah, because yeah, his his lowest yep. power was was fifteen, and it's just it it's it's too high. You know, you need to be able to get into those lower powers, the sub ten powers. You know, whenever you need it. Right. It's like. It's like being at rifles only and shooting twelve hundred, and you got thirty pounder scope. You say, "Oh, it's it's twelve hundred yards, thirty powers, way better." Until <laughs> until you do it, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. That had come up. That had come up in a in a podcast recently. It's just like I had said, you know, whenever you, when you're up on that high power and you're shooting that long distance, you know, that eight hundred or a thousand, and then you back down the power and you can actually hear your eyes say, "Ah." 
Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, you have a way of putting You're like Forrest Gump's mama. You have a way of making things where I can understand them. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that really does work. It, it means a lot to me. Well, cool deal. Well, after that, um, after that, you, you got into Armageddon, Armageddon gear. And uh, tell me, yep. tell me what that road has been like. Okay, well, so I'll tell you kind of how I had the idea. I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit, wanted to do something, wanted to do something on my own, didn't really know what it was going to do, what it was going to be. But mm-hmm. uh, when I was working at Bushnell, uh, Bushnell at the time I worked there had about 13 or 14 or maybe even 15 brands. Mm-hmm. So, and I sold most of them if it had a military application. We owned Bolay and Serengeti Eyewear. So we made a run with uh I wear for the government with the ballet, you know, military's mm-hmm. issued sunglasses. So it's like, let's try this. And we hit Hoppies, Impro 7. We sold a lot of Impro 7 cleaner to the military. Uh, mm-hmm. We had several stock good brands, uh, which were all, you know, imported, though, imported manufactured stuff. Mm-hmm. But because I dealt with the purchasers and the contractors at Every branch of the military, the Marine Corps, you know, Special Ops, SOCOM, SF Command, everybody. And I had so many brands. If they needed something, I probably had it, right? Mm -hmm. And we were getting calls constantly. Hey, man, I need a pouch or I need a gun case. But as you know, the military has to be very compliant, which means the, the materials are woven, sourced everything in America, sewn in America, the threads made in America, mm-hmm. uh, everything's got to be American. Well, I, I just kept, hey, we need a sling for this. We need something for that. It, it was always different asks. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at the market. I'm like, why are they calling us for this? We're not really been known as a soft goods company. But in that time period, as you'll remember, there were these big companies like ATK and, and Freedom Group and, and Vista and uh, uh special armory group or whatever. And they started buying up all these small companies Mm -hmm. and building conglomerates. Well, a lot of those big cut and sew companies that we remember Eagle and, and, and uh, Blackhawk and those companies, they were getting bought up as well. Mm -hmm. And when these big companies buy them, they look at them and say, okay, this company's doing well, but they're made in America. If we put this in our factory in China, we cut our cost in half are therefore doubling our profits. Right. And, but not realizing they're going to lose their military government business with that too. And that's what was happening. And so there was just a big hole in the market for American made soft goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a few, but not many and not many actually focused on chasing the military contracts. So I, it just kept in mind, man, man, you know, and while I did have, at that point had learned something about sales and marketing, I didn't have any idea about manufacturing, mm-hmm. but Brute strength and ignorance will overcome anything. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to do this, and started with a couple ideas, and you know, resigned my position at Bushnell, uh, and started with a carving sling, mm-hmm. and then got a call from the the, the sniper. Uh, can't remember what his name was now, but he was a. Uh, he was in charge of all the sniper stuff for the army mm-hmm. and they wanted a sling to carry a tripod system. Mm-hmm. Well, that was easy to get on and off. And so that was the first product that we actually sold to the military mm-hmm. and they bought 6,000 of those, one mm-hmm. for every sniper. Mm-hmm. About the time that finished up, the Marine Corps 
wanted a scabbard to put the tripod in and attach it to the ruts. So made a prototype of that, sent it in, they purchased that. Uh, about that time, Remington had one, was, was a, putting in for the MSR, the mm-hmm. 2010. Yep. And said, we need a gun case for this. we got to submit it to the military. I'm like, oh, I can do it. Never made a gun case in my life. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, it, but anyway, long story short, within, within short order, you know, I, everything I had made on that, I had ter- I'd reinvested it. So after about a year or so, I had employees, machines, everything, and had done it all with no debt. Now, I still hadn't paid myself, but, uh, but had the basis set for a business. You know, right. And there's some luck because at the time the PRS world, the long range shooting just started exploding Mm -hmm. and, you know, there wasn't a lot of competition there. And because I had invested in the machinery and the equipment uh, to do those big orders for the government, I was able to just make volume, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and, and as, dealers were like, Hey, we want to get in on this. We need to carry some rear bags or this and that. We're able to make enough to service them basically. So it just, we grew as the sport grew. And in the meantime, whenever the government would build a new sniper rifle, we would almost by default, you know, do the soft goods. Mm -hmm. So, and it's still going now. We're, we're doing some now for, uh, for some DOD rifles. Well, that's good, man. That's good. I, you know, but y'all are doing everything. I mean, you got you got slings, you got bags, you have uh, you know you have different different uh, rear bags in addition to rifle bags. Um, what what else has, has come up in your product line that we haven't mentioned so far? Well, uh, suppressor covers are, are mm-hmm. a big seller for us. We we sell a lot of those that, as I'm sure you guys do, because it's just everybody has a suppressor now. Yep. You know. Yep. And everybody wants a cover or needed a cover, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been a big learning curve. We've, we've changed the materials two or three times and, you know, cause suppressor covers a pain in the butt business to do, but it's worth it if you can do it. Yep. Uh, but, uh, uh, suppressor covers, uh, you know, we did, I, have you seen that tripod caddy we came out with? I did. I have, uh, I have seen that. Yep. Yeah. And that, that's been a pretty good product for us. We just launched a tripod case, you know, there's only so much you can do for a bag. Uh, right. The game changer has been a huge hit for us, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's been wonderful. Thanks to Clifton Reeser. He designed it, patented it, and we worked together to, uh, to sell and market it. And it's, we sell a lot of those gun cases, slings, the game changer bags and suppressor covers are kind of carry the company, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, you know, those are the, those are the big things. And the gun cases, that really, we sell a lot of those things, and uh, right now we're delivering the new ASR, that Barrett uh, MRAD system. Right. We make the we make the drag bag, mm-hmm. uh, we make the suppressor cover. Uh, I don't. I think there's a little ancillary pouch in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we we do a lot of the stuff for that, and that that keeps us busy. And we just finished doing the SAS stuff for H and K last year. <laughs> you yeah, know, man. so that's all good stuff. Man, it just sounds like you are you are super busy with that. I'm I, I love I love nothing more than hearing a hearing a success story in the entrepreneurial world. Believe me, I mean it. It I know that that is not easy at all. So congrats on that. Thanks, man. Thanks, and like I said, man, it's just we're I've got great people, super great people. They they get so much done, and and we've had a lot of luck, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember seeing one picture that you put up, and it's like you had a gooseneck trailer just full of machines. <laughs> I was like, yep, yeah. he's busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, yep. Yeah. I went and bought those. I went to North Carolina and picked those up from uh, Jason Beck, mm-hmm. who owns Tier Tactical. Mm-hmm. And he had just, like he said, man, I just replaced all my old machines that I started with. It's just time to upgrade to better, bigger, better machines. And I'm like, well, I'm, it's it's time for me to get some used crap that I can just keep getting by on. And of course, nowadays we're we're buying new new stuff and good good brands. But yeah. you know, when you're starting, you got to do what you can do, man. I mean, yeah. I drove to Tennessee in my old pickup truck and bought two machines and drove them back in the rain uh, to start. So right. you know, hired, hired a girl from the gas station. That worked behind the counter at the gas station said she could sew. Turns out she really couldn't, <laughs> but I couldn't either. So we just figured it out together. You know? Yeah, man, that's great. That's, uh, that's great. Yeah, I know that. You know, every year, and thank you for this, but every year you guys, you guys sponsor the brawl, and so I'll either talk to you or I'll talk to Missy, and and then uh, and then a, a box of stuff will show up, and I just look at it all, and I think, oh my god, I mean, wow, uh, you, you you really have done a lot to support, you know, the the shooting community just with price tables stuff and i know that that ain't easy because there's a heck of a lot of matches now and you know armageddon grizz is uh is represented at all of them you know on, on the table or at least most of them that i know of and so uh thank well, you for that i appreciate it you're welcome man it feels like i we still ship of course we ship more than ever to the prize tables but man it's like you just can't all of them anymore i mean yeah. you just can't i mean I mean, probably every day we get a prize table request with the 22 stuff getting big. Those are like every weekend. And Mm -hmm. it's just, there's so much, there's just so much. And, and, you know, you feel bad. You want to say yes to everything, but it's just impossible. It's just too much now. Well, I I hope our requests are still listened to. Of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, it's much appreciated, yeah. man. Yeah, and I've seen some of your rifle bags. I mean, they're 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 as good as any that's out there that I've ever seen. I mean, they're they're really sweet and they're they're stylish and they have a look to them, you know what I mean? It's kind of like um it's kind of like if you got something that says Armageddon gear on it, it's it's like um it, it's stylish. It's like Gucci, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I know yeah. it's I know it's well, not meant to be that way, but it's just you know that if you got the AG stuff on there, you know it's going to be quality stuff, and you don't have to worry about it. I see your sling come through here quite a bit, and uh, I guess your sling and, and our sling is the only one that uses that bungee, you know, in the fashion that we use it. And um, right. you know that's a yours. It's really really sleek, sleek and streamlined. I I appreciate the look of all of your stuff. Well, you know, some, sometimes I feel like the design, well, you can constantly redesign, but when we do make it, we definitely want it to be as well-made as it can be or as we can make it for sure because, mm-hmm. you know, it, we live in a world of disposable stuff, man, and yep. I want our gun case, like, you know, you buy a gun case from us, one day your kid will be like, oh, it's daddy's own gun case, still in good shape, I'm going to use it now, you yep. know, yep. and we really, really want it to be that way because yep. it can be. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you use Cordura and nylon thread, and you sew it together right, it'll it'll outlast us. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, and everything that consumers used to now, it's polyester. Yeah, and polyester or cotton thread, and it fades. Uh, it it just it degrades. It right, just comes apart. It's well, it's biodegradable. Yeah. You know, thread thread is biodegradable. Yeah. Yep, unless it's nylon. Yeah, yeah, unless it's yep. nylon. Yeah, exactly right. Well, yep. you know, I had a and, I, go ahead. I was going to say there's one reason to make stuff overseas, one and one only, to make it cheaper. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and, and that's what everybody does. I'm like, okay, let's see if we can just make it better. Yeah. 
because I'm tired of buying three backpacks a year, you right. know? Right. So anyway. Well, that's pretty cool. You know, I had a, you, are you familiar? You're, I know you're familiar. You're familiar with uh, best made designs, spec op brands. Um, what brand? Spec op brands. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're out in Texas. And so Jeff Wimmer yep. is a principal for that. And so, uh, he and I hunted an guy together. And so he invited me and my dad out there one time to go and hunt mule deer, you know, out in West Texas in Monahans. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I had a chance to, to go through his place and, um, man, you know, <laughs> you're sitting here, somebody's thinking, you know, that, you know, you've got, you know, some people in there that are sewing this and, you know, doing this and, you know, it, it really can't be that hard, man. It's hard. I mean, I haven't visited your place, but visiting his place, I mean, it was, it was insane. Just the amount of work that it takes to put together a backpack. You know what I mean? And it's just, there's so many little pieces and it's, you know, you get your backpack and you don't realize, you know, how many pieces of, of cloth that are in there that need to be, you know, stamped and, and put out and, and sewn. And then in order to get your quality where it needs to be, you know, how many stitches per inch do you have? You know what I mean? What, where, where is that, where's that breaking point to where you have a piece of gear that's going to last you a lifetime or a piece of gear that's going to last you halfway through the season. And it's, and, and sometimes, sometimes those, those limits are very minute. I, it, can you talk to that at all? Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think so. Well, when it, when it comes to that, it's like a, it's a constant learning curve for us. I mean, uh, you'll probably remember when the, the first wax canvas shooting bags, well, the first modern wax canvas shooting bags came out mm-hmm. when we, we launched the Game Changers in them. Mm-hmm. Well, wax canvas, is it's a really soft, almost every person you see at a match is going to have a wax canvas bag, either the Fortune Cookie or the Game Changer, and it's in wax canvas because it's softer, it's more pliable, the gun settles better, mm-hmm. it allows the filler material to, to be more malleable around the gun. There's a lot of advantages to it. But it's a cotton product. It yeah. does not last like Cordura. And right. we also make a Game Changer in Cordura, but this is where it's a, it's kind of a trade-off. The, a wax canvas shooting bag is not going to last a lifetime, like a Cordura one would. Right. But that's where the consumer goes, you know what? If I had to buy one a year, two, one every two years, it's worth it because it gives me that much better of an advantage. Right. So, but when what we found is we were sewing the Cordura ones, and Cordura's bulletproof, man. I mean, yep. it'll last forever. Yep. And that you look at a game changer design, there's a lot of stress in certain points. Sand mm-hmm. is the most abrasive. Uh, you know, material on the planet, basically, mm-hmm. and you're putting it in a cotton bag and you're throwing it around, throwing 20-pound rifles on it, setting it on rocks and fence posts, it's just going to wear out. But when we started sewing it, we're like, okay, this is not as tough as a fabric. So we had to, we had to change how we did business because it's a different fabric. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we had to change how we sewed it. We had to change the design a little bit. And then we started using that super, super fine, pure, silica sand mm-hmm. we had to we had to uh uh increase our stitch count by a lot because that sand just worked through working its way between the stitches yeah you know yeah especially as it gets ground up and turns powdery so everything is a uh everything's a cost versus reward thing and then it's again american-made products american-made materials there's only it, it's better but there's only so much the market's going to bear also. Right. So one of the things we find is like, if we did this, it would make it more useful or give it a little bit more utility or give it dual utility. But it breaks, makes the price go up. I don't think people's going to buy it. The tripod caddy was a great example. Yep. 
and, and you know this, Jacob. You, we, you know, we spend a lot of time designing it, making it. And the second you release it, you get a million phone calls like, "You should have made it like that. You should have done this. You should have done that." Well, yeah. I could have, but it's a five. Now it'd be a five hundred dollar product, right. you know. And so, it, it everything is a land, you know, cost versus benefit, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if that. Oh yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I know I saw I saw it, you know, with Armageddon gear with my own eyes. Of a couple of years back, we were out at um in Blakely, and you know, at the at the Precision Rifle Expo, and I was I had a good opportunity to go and sit, you know, with you and your crew, you know, and you were showcasing your products and this and that. And I mean, I wasn't there for very long, you know. I, I remember you know Missy being there, you being there. Of course, Jim was there, and. Yep. And uh, I mean, it was like on two different occasions. I mean, and I'm, I wasn't there very long. On two different occasions, people would come up and say, you know, what about this? What about this? You know, can you do this? And uh, it, it was funny. One of the one, it, one of the guys says, you know, can you do this? And then I saw it later that you had actually done it. And I thought, well, there you go, man. The guy who's who's listening to his his uh, his his clientele and 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 that 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 pays off. You know, that really pays off a lot, Tom. Yep. Yeah. So it's been. Yep. Very, well, very you, interesting. I, but I look at it this way. I only, get, I only get so many good ideas in my life, and mm-hmm. so I got to listen to other people's too. You know? <laughs> truth, truth, truth. Well, what and, and sometimes you get you get people saying you should do this, you should do that, but you just can't or don't want to, too. You know. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, well, well, before we before we uh, go on here, and and I would just one thing that I wanted to ask you: you were you were at AMU at the end of your army career, correct? That's true. When I, uh, I, my last two years I spent at the Army Marksmanship Unit, which was a really fun job. Yeah, I, I have a, I have quite a few friends in there, mutual friends, you know, that you and I both have in it. It seems like, it seems like that there, that's a very, very interesting unit. Um, those guys can shoot, man. What does, what, what does a day look like if you're in the AMU? Just briefly. Well, there's several different sections there that work basically autonomous. Mm hmm. Uh, so you've got the international disciplines, which is basically Olympic sports, mm-hmm. international rifle, uh, the shotgun, you know, those are the guys that compete in the Olympics, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then you have service rifle, which compete inner service and at Camp Perry, which has been around forever and you're mm-hmm. familiar with, I'm yep. sure. Yep. Uh, and then you've got the action shooting, which is the stuff we would know and your listeners would be familiar with three gun and, and, uh, PRS and, yep. and that kind of stuff. So, uh, it really depends on the cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the it's it's not like a lot of people think it's where okay uh, we're in this unit we're just going to train every day and every day and then we got we go shoot matches and, and like three gun and and the PRS guys yeah they they're kind of like that mm-hmm. but for the rest of it it's like okay we have we have Olympic qualifiers coming up mm-hmm. uh, or we had world shoots coming up so it's all designed to peak mm-hmm. right just like any athlete. And so they have training plans. They have a yearly long training plan that designs the athlete to peak for Olympic qualifiers or mm-hmm. world level matches and stuff on the international stage. And even the service rifle and service pistols, the same thing. Mm-hmm. They want to peak at inner service in Camp Perry, which is summertime. Right. And of course, there's some time off there as well that, you know, you got to build in for anybody because you train so much, you get a little burned out, as you know. Yep. Um, so average day, you know, get, get up. Uh, PT, just like anybody in the military, after PT, uh, you fall in on your individual training program. Pretty much everybody, with exception, again, and that exception would be like the service rifle and uh, the action sports, uh, has an individual training plan put mm-hmm. out by their coach. 
And, you know, today I want you to work on this and, you know, you're going to work on it for a couple hours and you're going to break and you're going to do some mental management training. Uh, the AMU invests in mental management training with uh, sports psychologists, mm-hmm. uh, dietitians, all, all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it comes to the Olympic side of it. But it's a very interesting because it's, it's not just all about uh, pulling the trigger. You know, it's, there's so much more to it, the mental right. game being huge. Yeah, right. as, as, as a lot of your listeners have figured out when they got in, they're like, oh, man, I'm going to I'm gonna do great at this match because I shoot all the time and I'm great until you're at a match. Yeah. And then there's the mental aspect of, you know, match management with your mind. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of the things. That, what, is a, what are the three words that makes every competitive shooter forget everything they know? Time starts now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I know yep. that there's another and, side and of that I, too. That you know, those guys are those guys are really good and and really personable and everything else. And you know, there's a there's a lot of different little groups in the military that that shoot. And I know that I know that they contribute some of their some of their time on helping training some of those guys too, don't they? Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. And that that was one of the things. Uh, you know, when I had just left the Ranger Regiment and went there, and uh, so and these are some of the best. Trainers too. If you're that good at something, you're probably pretty good at teaching it to someone else. And and uh, it, so, at, at, when I was a sergeant major at AMU, I was like, "Hey, look, we're in the army at war. Uh, we're not so busy in between our com- competition schedule stuff that we can't provide some, you know, assistance to the war effort." So mm-hmm. uh, we spun up a deployment schedule and would send trainers to uh, to Kabul to train the Afghani army mm-hmm. and the Afghani uh, police forces and stuff, marksmanship, because of just the way we're in the army, you know, we're getting paid to be in the army. Yeah, it's great to shoot, but get overseas and do your part for the, for the effort too, you yeah. know? So, you know, that, that was a, that was something I felt like uh, was a good thing for the AMU. And now they have what's called the ITG instructor training group. Mm-hmm. And their job is to take, uh, you know, take marksmanship training to the rest of the army. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with and that, and that's kind of where I was. That was kind of where I was trying to corral you to. Um, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, so uh, tell me a little bit about that because I, I just think it's. I think it's fantastic. I mean, I, I go and you know I've been out there, you know, to Fort Benning, and you know worked with those guys, and and I know a lot of them, and it's like they're you know one really good shooters, but two really good people, you know, and it seems like that that kind of they kind of spread that. Um, I don't know. It's just that feeling, you know. They're just good folks. Well, so I, the the that that team at the AMU was actually stood up after I left. Although I wrote the TONE change to to do that unit, so I was like, "Hey, let's start a training group with inside the AMU." And my idea was to field it with a lot of wounded warriors because mm-hmm. I I was constantly getting uh, infantry guys that were like, "Look, they were coming to my office missing a leg. They just got out of Walter Reed or something," and they're mm-hmm. like, "Hey, look." Uh, I got, I lost my leg. I was a really good shooter in my unit and I just want to stay in the army. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to do anything. Mm-hmm. And, and so we actually hired a couple while I was there and competed in the Paralympics in mm-hmm. the shooting sports in the Paralympics and actually did very, very well. Mm-hmm. And then the idea was to bring these guys and make each, let, let them be in the AMU, let them shoot with the teams, let them, let them, you know, a, learn and soak in all that knowledge the AMU has to offer, and then their job is to go teach it to the rest of the Army mm-hmm. through two-week training cycles, putting them through drills and all this stuff with with actual applicable to to 
you know, training. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's more, and I and I do know that happened at some point. I can't speak to if if how many wounded warriors are on that now, but I do know they get a lot of Ranger Regiment guys at least have. Uh, just regular infantry guys that come over, learn these uh, skills, learn the AMU, uh, you know, expertise, and then they go train everything from CQB to using the M4 as far as it's going to be capable to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and it's a need, man. It's really is a need. And they have good leaders there. They have good team leaders that uh, that can run those teams. And those guys are all over the Army all the time. You know, that 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 program right there just kills so many birds with one stone. You know what I mean? Yep. I mean, it really does. You yeah, got, it does. yeah, you got a, a need out there for that type of training and you also have a need yep. on their individual level to, to keep doing what they're doing and pass off some of that knowledge. And then it's just, it just seems like it, you know, what that would do for someone, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, and everything else. And then, you know, you got, if I'm sitting over there and say, okay, okay, next week we've got, you know, so-and-so from AMU is going to be here. Uh, I ain't going to be late. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to be there. Yep. I want to know what these people have to say because they, they do have so much knowledge on that. Well, that's good. I just wanted to touch on that just a little bit. Well, switching gears again, hate to do this to you, but I know you can, you can go with the flow. What's the, What do you see in the future for, for Armageddon, uh, Armageddon gear? I know that, I know that you, you started the Armageddon uh, or the AG cup, Armageddon gear cup, which was another yep. fantastic idea, by the way. I mean, hats off to you for doing that. That's just, that's just great. But uh, where, where do you see, where do you see Armageddon gear going and, and, and fill us in a little bit about what the AG cup is? Okay. Well, I'll start with the AG cup. Okay. Um, the eight, so I've never, I sponsor a lot of matches with prize tables and stuff like mm-hmm. you said, but you know, uh, Armageddon gear became a pretty good presence within the, you know, the, the PRS as, as a new organization, the PRS especially, and we grew alongside of it mm-hmm. and I kept getting, you know, match directors going, Hey man, I, you should be, a, there's no match out there with Armageddon gear's name, like the Armageddon gear match, like you have. A lot of the industry names mm-hmm. have their own match. Sure, yeah, well, Leopold, you know, Night Force, all of them, yeah. Yeah, they all do. And I'm like, well, you know me, man. I'm like, I just don't want a, just some match director out there to run his match and it has my match. I mm-hmm. want it to be, you know how I am. I want it to be bigger, better, uh, you know, and just have my spin and my personality and all that stuff on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so the AG Cup. It's going to be called the AG Cup. And I want it to just be different and I want it to be great. And I want it to be for the shooters because, you know, I mean, you've been running these matches, Jacob, for longer than anybody, mm-hmm. uh, it, arguably. Uh, there might have been a couple more out there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and you, you do one match a year now and it's, it's kind of the same. Your match is kind of <clears throat> still has that same feel. The rifle's the only, it is what it is. But with the advent of the, of the PRS, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but I'm just saying what I saw happening was, and I'm just going to shoot it out there like I feel about it, but everybody knows I support all the matches, I support the match director, I support the PRS, I support all that. Mm-hmm. But what I saw was guys going, hey, golly, you can make a lot of money running matches. I got a place, I'm going to run a match. Well, it ain't that easy, as nope. you know. <laughs> but, uh, but you're like, man, you know, you get a hundred dudes and they all pay two hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and sponsors put prizes on the table, and ROs work for free. So, wow, yeah, and and it's just, you know, and guys are paying to go shoot matches 
to get something they already have as mm-hmm. a prize, but and they also get the trophy, and they also get the recognition, they also get the good feeling. But I was like, man, how about we do one, and it's all about the shooters. Mm-hmm. So every dime the AG Cup brings in, plus, uh, you know, plus considerable more, goes directly to the shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was my first thing. I was like, if I can get a handful of sponsors on board, and then, of course, you're going to charge the shooters to shoot because that was the pot. That's the pay to play. Right. But 100% of it goes right back out. Right. And uh, and this year, we're giving away right at $80,000. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, but anyway, what I wanted to do was to have a aspirational match. We did it by invitation. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, we went through the rosters of the NRL, uh, of PRS, and was like, we found everybody that had won a match. And then we figured everybody that won two, and we said we can legitimately run uh, 30 people, I think we said. Mm-hmm. And we sent them an invitation. It was an invitational. Mm-hmm. Because you're one of the top in the nation, you're going to shoot only against the top and nothing against the, the formats that are out there because I think they're perfect. You get guys that, that are learning from the newer guys or learning from the older guys, and that's just what makes the sport work. Mm-hmm. But I was like, what if everybody that showed up this match was the top? Yeah. They don't have to share they don't have to share their gear. They don't have to, you know, give anybody tips. They're just totally focused on their match. Uh, there's there's no uh, sharing wind calls. You can't even watch the other guy shoot. You mm-hmm. can't even be on glass while he's shooting. And let's see who the best guy is. Mm-hmm. And let's make it worth their effort. So everybody really liked it. I think the first year we gave away 20000 to the winner mm-hmm. and another 20000 out in stage wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year we're giving away – the winner will get 30000 Overall, the second place will get five thousand. Third place will get three thousand. Mm-hmm. And every stage, it's thirty stages to the match. Every stage winner gets a thousand dollars. Nice. So that's close to eighty grand. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and and, that, and you know, and the guys get to show up and win some money. Yeah, you know, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, and they get that big old trophy, that big old cup, mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool. It's a beautiful trophy. I know you've seen it, and mm-hmm. it's just. It's just gorgeous. The winners, there's fireworks going off in the background, and we're playing his theme song, whatever he chooses. It's just this moment for that guy to be like, man, I, I've i shown that in the sport that I've chosen to compete in that I've just proven that today I'm the best. Yeah. You know, and it gives him that, that one time to shine, you know. And uh, and I just wanted it to be good for them. And, and uh, of course, I wanted a good event to put my name on. And, of course, right. you're going to get some return for that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't about making money. It was just about doing a good event and getting a return from having ran a good event and getting some marketing out of that and doing something good for the shooters. So I'm really proud of how it's went off. Now it's morphed into a qualifier instead of an invitation. Mm-hmm. So now it's, you know, through the year, there are certain matches that are uh, labeled as AG Cup qualifiers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I let I let the PRS kind of run that because I don't have any desire to run it. Yeah. But through those qualifiers, you know, the top guys are invited to the AG Cup. Perfect. Perfect. And then I'll show up and give away the cup. And I'll show up and give away the cup and act like I did something. Yeah. There you <laughs> but go. it was a lot of work the first couple of years. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and where do you see where do you see the the soft goods company going in the future? You got any okay, you, you got any you have an insight on some little some little item that we're out here chomping on the bit to start using. Well, I'm just going to give you, uh, in a nutshell, mm-hmm. uh, I look, I'm not looking, of course I look at individual products and we're, we're always launching new products. Uh, I've recently, uh, 
developed really good relationships with the uh, with 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 major players in the air rifle world. And mm-hmm. are you familiar? I'm sure you are. You're always on the cutting edge of everything. But these PCP, these pre-charged pneumatic air rifles, are absolutely crazy, dude. Oh, I've got a, I've got a story. I mean, I've got a story for you. But you continue on. Man, they're shooting elk and deer and yep. hogs, and uh, I got invited to go out to uh, Utah with Utah Air Guns. They're the largest reseller air guns and accessories in in the world. And we went prairie dogs with air rifles, and I'm like, holy cow, these <laughs> things are bad. There's I, there's there's no harmonics, there's no explosion in your face, just accuracy. Yeah. And I'm like, holy cow, this is amazing. So of course now I've got everything to shoot them and. Yep. And and have a good time with them, but there's a there's a whole there's a whole crowd of people out there just crazy about these things, just like we are, you know, powder burn guns, and yep. and uh, no one's servicing them in my market. So I'm making we're doing a little Air Mageddon gear line. For those, <laughs> those guys. Oh, working, there you go. Work, yeah, working with Utah Air Rifles, they're going to exclusively uh, distribute some of the products that they helped us do. And some of the other products just have great crossover. Man, that's awesome. Because the awesome. air rifle world has always been like bench rest, right? Right. So now they're incorporating PRS style shooting into the air rifles. So now game changers and, mm-hmm. you know, rear bags and all those things are coming into play. So air that's going to be some. Yeah, air <laughs> and the air and the A is like a little pellet rifle that's kind of stuck in there, you know. It's a, <laughs> Very cool. It's a pellet. Very cool. And you but, can you can spend a lot of money on those things. Oh my gosh, thousands! Yeah, 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 thousands. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I had a, I had a, the guy call me up says, you know, he he was uh going to be shooting some of this stuff, and um, so as it turned out, he was a, a wounded warrior, and he was going to stay in, and so they were going to let him go and start competing at some of these things. You know what I mean? Completely unsanctioned. He was just yeah. going to stay in until he retired. You know, he brought one of these guns out here, and I tell you what, whenever I shouldered that gun. It was like putting on a glove that was made for me. Wow. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was just, it was insane. Well, that, that, some of those things are a little ergonomically awkward to me because of the, the tube. Yeah. But, but some of them are absolutely, and they're, they're, they're not extremely heavy. Mm-mm. Man, I had a, a friend of mine who's been in this era for a long time, and I didn't even know she was, uh, until I reconnected with her years later, and she's actually hosts uh, Air Gunner TV or something, and she does some hunting stuff with him. She yeah. goes, hey, if I came to Georgia, could you put me on some pigs? And I'm like, yeah, she goes, I'm going to shoot with my air rifle. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, and man, she's dropping them in their tracks, head shooting them. Yeah. Boars. You know, I'm yeah. like, holy cow. That's hilarious. Yeah, that is. It's that fun. is. Well, man, that's good yeah. to hear. That is really good to hear, man. I, I, I like the Air Mageddon thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, that's got to be that's got to yeah. be the best twist on on Armageddon. I mean, Armageddon has such a has such a strong presence and everything else. And now we're just going to we're going to we're going to bend in the wind. You know what I mean? And, and go with it. I yeah. think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, good that deal. Fun, man. Well, Tom, we're, we're about on that time, man. I know that I know you're itching to get out in the in the in the brush. And uh, to be quite frank, I am, too, because we've had we've had really good weather and I've been training the the last uh, last week or so. And I haven't had a chance to go out there myself. But. Once again, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to, to visit with us. And, and uh, I know you're a busy guy and I really want to applaud you for, for your success with what you've done, you know, from all the way, all the way the, with the army, uh, lots of, lots of respect there, you know, Bushnell, Armageddon gear, now Armageddon. And it's, uh, 
man, it, it's just a, a real honor for me to know you. Well, Jacob, you, you and Lisa have always been great to me. I always feel at home when I come down there and it's been too long. I do need to get down there and I say it and over and over, but I just don't. And uh, I miss you guys and look forward to getting down there and hanging out with you guys again. Well, cool, man. We feel the same way. Stay on with me after this and, and uh, I'll go ahead and close this out again, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. It'd be kind of ridiculous if I was sitting up here talking with all these interesting people and no one was listening and by their numbers, we're getting lots of listeners. So I appreciate that. Keep in mind, if you have a question for Tom, uh, you can send it to my email that's associated with this podcast, R-O-A-P at RiflesOnly.com. That's Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast at RiflesOnly.com. Send those questions in. I know that I can get them over to Tom and, and make some notes and we can cover him and Bartland and Proof and everybody. I'm just going to have a, a listener question day because I've got a lot of them to answer. So I'll get with everybody, you know, in the in the downtime and do it. But thank you all again for, for taking the time to send me emails. And uh, thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you really, really soon. <music>